if I can get a good paragraph or two that I don't hate the next day, I feel pretty decent about my work. How is it going, CNF? Or is it CNF Pod? The creative nonfiction podcast, a show where I speak to badass people about telling true stories. I'm Brendan O'Mara. It's right there on the logo. We've got Will Harrison today. He wrote an incredible essay for the New York Times Magazine titled, My Unlikely Writing Teacher, Pedro Martinez. And that might sound like, okay, he had a writing teacher named Pedro Martinez. What's so unlikely about that? But here is why it's so unlikely. For those of you who don't know, Pedro Martinez is the Hall of Fame pitcher for several teams, but his best years were with the Boston Red Sox. Right-handed pitcher, electric stuff. When Pedro was on the mound, it was an event. You dropped everything to watch Pedro. Or if you were in class or in a in a in a place where it was inaccessible by television, you found a radio station and you tuned the dial and you listened. It was like the World Cup, dude. Like flags were flying all over the place in the bleachers. Every time he took the ball, he could strike out. 15, 16, 17 batters. He could also walk a bunch and get shelled. I mean, that 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 happened from time to time. And uh, he drove my dad nuts. Well, it doesn't take much to drive my dad nuts. But if there was ever a runner on base, he'd be like, he takes forever to get rid of the ball. So anyway, he had a 99-mile-an-hour fastball sometimes, you know, blasting out of this five foot eight, 160 160-pound body. And how do I know that? I mean, I guess I could go to Wikipedia and find out his biological dimensions, but I was beside him in spring training, 1998, and I stood beside him, and I'm 5'9", and I was getting his autograph, or I was almost getting his autograph, and then you might have thought I was too old or like big or, or whatever, but I was at least an inch, if not like maybe two inches taller than Pedro, and I was about a buck 90 at the time, maybe 185, you know, and and Pedro definitely looked like he was 40 pounds lighter than I was. So anyway, point being, that fastball and that curveball and that changeup came out of that little body. Will talks about how the pitch selection of Pedro is akin to writing the changing of speed and pace and location. So we dig into all that stuff. Hey, this episode is affiliately sponsored by Liquid IV, and I gotta say, it's a pretty damn delicious way to rehydrate and fuel those endurance activities, or if you just wanna zhuzh up your boring tap water. Non-GMO and free from gluten's dairy, 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 and soy. I got all excited talking about Pedro. Also, there's a sugar-free version. Uh, try the white peach. It's awesome. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the promo code CNF at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration. Today, using the promo code CNF at liquidiv.com. And no, I don't get paid unless you buy stuff. So, get out those wallets. If you head over to brendanomero.com, hey, you can read show notes and sign up for my up to 11 Rage Against the Algorithm newsletter, a curated list, I know that's kind of basic, an essay by your resident crank, books, stuff to make you happy, goes up to 11 Literally, the list is 11 items long. And the more I think about it, the more the newsletter really needs to offer insights into getting you where you want to go. 
I mean, for most of you, yeah, it's getting published. Or if you're, you know, a lot of you are published authors, but maybe you're with smaller presses and you don't get the, the, the outreach or that degree of visibility you know, that, that you loud, that you're like, oh man, isn't that awesome? Wow, look at Michael Lewis. Who isn't writing or speaking to Michael Lewis? So anyway, it also deals with building a platform that doesn't make you want to blow your brains out, hence the raging against the algorithm. I'm workshops on some ideas. I think I'm going to have some cool things that I think will help you, help you out. First of the month, no spam. As far as I can tell, you can't beat it. Also, consider heading to patreon.com slash cnfpod. Sure, I'm asking for some money, but what you get is more than the satisfaction of helping keep this podcast afloat. You get access to the community of other CNF and writers. I've been doing this thing where I start threads with a little video, as uncomfortable as that makes me because I don't like my face. So you talk amongst yourself. Don't lurk. Jump in and contribute to the conversation. Maybe exchange contact info. Make a friend. Patreon.com slash CNFpod. Started a new thread recently about books on writing. Hey, also big shout out to Judy Bowman Reed, our latest patron. Thank you so much, Judy. We're clapping. We're clapping here at CNF Pod HQ. Free ways to support the show are leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts or ratings on Spotify. And a final thing. Here's my requisite shout out to Athletic Brewing, my favorite NA beer out there. Now, I don't always drink NA beers, but when I do, it's Athletic. Not a paid plug, but I'm a brand ambassador, and I love celebrating this amazing product. Go to athleticbrewing.com and use the promo code BRENDANO20 at checkout and get a nice little discount on your first order. All right, Will freaking Harrison, this episode gets into voice, sentence flow, Virginia Woolf, yep, and working very, very slowly. Settle in, CNFers. Parting shot at the end of this one, too, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, let's just hear from Will, all right? Pretty neat when you can uh, draw a parallel from someone else's discipline and someone else's craft to help improve your own, and to and to for you to draw a kind of a writing level sentence level lesson from Pedro Martinez and his approach to pitching. I thought it was just really really cool to read. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was a it was kind of a thrill to write. It's weirdly something I feel like I was kicking around in the back of my mind for a while. But yeah, so it was like, a, I was a lot of it was in sort of conveying this idea in my pitch, you know, pr- it's a sort of tricky comparison, perhaps. So, you know, getting landing that sort of analogy within the pitch, I feel like was kind of like, a nice a, enough of a challenge that it made like writing the actual piece itself if not easy, sort of it sped that process up, which is rare. I'm usually a pretty slow worker. So Yeah. Well, um, was there a particular moment where where you were able to kind of crack the code and then suddenly it was kind of more of a downhill right from there? Well, the piece came about in an interesting way. I felt like it, to write about Pedro Martinez for me is both this like thing that makes a lot of sense, but then also was a bit tricky in that I feel like my peak years of fandom 
or you know like peak like coming into actual human full consciousness did not directly overlap with his peak years it's like almost like my knowledge of baseball was more peaking around like you know 2000 one two three four mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so so it part of writing this essay was interesting because i feel like a lot of my work is fueled by both like half by research and then half by kind of whether you want to call it ignorance or imagination you can take your pick but i feel like it's sort of like i was young enough in his peak seasons 1999 and 2000 that I do remember them, but I almost remember the sort of atmosphere of people talking about this player and sort of watching this player almost from that sort of like communal regional level. Then, then I actually literally remember, remember those games from those two sort of historically significant seasons of his. So I feel like this piece almost came out of finding I sort of found this trove of YouTube videos that I think it was like a, probably like a BC student had taped in, you know, like 1998, 99, 2000, 2001 and uploaded to YouTube. And I kind of stumbled upon those and just became pretty obsessed with sort of like rewatching all these games because yeah, I sort of craved access to, you know, rewatching these performances of his um but hadn't found you know such sort of untrammeled access until that happened so it's sort of like this weird i mean you know just sort of like doing that if i guess i would call it research but it's sort of just an, a, a hobby a fun hobby to just sort of like you know watch half of a game yeah every every night for like a couple of weeks and i was like you know okay i think and that really did sort of it's not like it was easy from there, but that sort of like unbridled enthusiasm I had for just rewatching these performances. And, you know, like he uploaded, this guy uploaded, you know, some games that were really, you know, peak performances and some that were a little bit more so-so, but that also was kind of a beautiful, you know, thing to engage with and sort of, you know, that, that's sort of like the iceberg, like beneath this piece is like that sort of like subjecting myself to all that video research in a way. Oh yeah. And you know, there were some, I, I remember some in like just incredibly electric performances from him. And then he would throw in a dud every now and again. And that's very much like the roller coaster of being a writer. Like some days you get into the flow and you're oh, like, Holy like, cow, yes. this is awesome. A thousand words no, just came sure. in like 20 minutes and they're okay. <laughs> they're legible. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, for sure, for yeah. Sure. And then other days you're like, Holy shit. I'm, I'm getting, uh, yeah, I'm getting my, uh, I'm getting shelled. Yeah, I'm, I'm throwing two thirds yes, of an exactly. inning. Uh, let's go to the bullpen and pit, uh, no, try again sure. in five days. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. That's really is what it is kind of like. So I felt like, once I sort of settled into this piece, it felt more like, you know, felt more like peak Pedro Martinez energy than I'd probably felt ever. I mean, I feel like I usually am more just sort of like a, if I can get a good paragraph or two that I don't hate the next day, I feel pretty decent about my work. So, (laughs) and this, you know, this felt, I mean, it's always a little like that, but you know, this felt a lot more, 
like I was sort of, you know, I, I feel like I, my process involves sort of doing research, but then sort of responding to the material of the, of the piece. So in a way it's like the former process comes to mimic the content of the piece. So in that way, I do feel like this piece had that sort of like rare electricity of, you know, the game that I was talking about specifically, or just, you know, sort of his peak performances, which was sort of a thrill. And then there comes the sort of like hangover effect, which I'm actually, I sort of have that right now for a different piece I just filed where you're sort of like, wow, what, what do I do with myself now? You know, that's part of the ride as you're saying. Yeah. You got to go ice up your shoulder and be like, all right, get, get, (laughs) so to to speak, get the long tossing tomorrow. And then you'd be like, all right, in a few days time. All right. It's about time to get back on the mound. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. So for me, it's like the part of the part of my process that became most like how I felt like he was working and, you know, this specific game against the Yankees or just sort of some other classic Pedro Martinez performances. For me, it's sort of like there's like the flash of like it's like I, I find that phrases will come to me, images will come to me, things of that nature. There's sort of like this flash of an idea and I'll just sort of jot it down, you know, strike quickly, like when I'm capable. And then when I'm not feeling that way, it's almost like you're editing, pruning, like, and that's almost like pitching too. It's like there, there are games that I watched where it's like, you know, he doesn't have, he had, you know, he basically had three hall of fame pitches with his fastball curveball and change up. And there are games where he has all three, but then, there's games where he's really leaning on one of those pitches and sort of nibbling with the rest. And it's like, that's very much what like writing can feel like, you know, like as you're saying, it's some days you show up and you have, you know, all your faculties clicking and you don't even, I mean, personally, I don't even ever really know why it's not necessarily like, Oh, I didn't sleep well last night. I can't write today. It's like, Sometimes that's when I write best. So no, I think it, it it's all making a lot of sense, and I, I love how you bring up the you know the craftiness of the pitches too, and how he you know he had like three you know legit elite pitches, and sometimes I think the the fastball, especially early in a pitcher's career, kind of symbolizes or is a metaphor for like the brazen naivete of a yes. of a writer is just like I'm just gonna overpower you with all this this style I'm gonna hit you in the face with it but it isn't until you're totally. able to nibble at the edges of the plate that you really start to become a master of your craft and Greg Maddox learned this so many totally. pitchers learn this over the course of their careers and I think there's just a lot there's a lot baked into that of learning how to pitch versus how to throw totally yeah I mean and as a writer I don't even I feel like I'm closer to the to the fast, you know, the yeah. trying to be ex- explosive phase, you know, I'm hoping to work into the more precision location based pitching of writing phase, but you know, you gotta, but I, I totally agree. It's sort of, and I feel like this, this specific game I zeroed in on is like at that exact point where he's sort of still has a pretty electric fastball, but then is obviously like, smart enough and you know savvy enough with the other off-speed pitches to sort of you know mix it up and yeah keep keep people on their toes kind of which yeah is definitely you know a lot of this piece was really also as much about I struggle more with almost I, I I feel like I became obsessed with form as a writer because I kind of struggle with 
it I almost work on it I work slowly enough that it's like a sentence to sentence basis so the analogy was just as much like getting through an inning as anything where it's like the variation of of tone and sound and you know long sentence short sentence medium sentence type logic um that I was noticing in his you know in his process that I could relate to mine yeah and there's something to be said too about uh pitching and writing as like voice and style too and pedro certainly brought a a flair to to the park and um you know the flags flying i mean it was like the world cup when he would pitch and uh so like yeah so so for you in terms of uh voice and style like maybe this kind of a two-parter like who are some of your influences and how have you tried to incorporate those influences to try to make you as unique as you can your own style and voice uh, on the page I studied, you know, capital E English literature in college, and that was cool in that it gave me this grounding in, you know, people like Virginia Woolf, who I'm relating Pedro to here in this piece, but, and sort of, you know, I was into, you know, sort of classic, like, modernism stuff, like Joyce and Woolf and Faulkner, which I still read, but I feel like as I, as I got a little older out of college, sort of reading on my own terms, I also became pretty invested in sort of like pretty voicey writing that feels a little bit more, I don't know, almost like a la like Dostoevsky's Underground Man or something, but, you know, more recent stuff. I feel like I like, you know, like Thomas Bernhard for the sort of like very like anxious, angry monologue thing and I've been reading, you know, reading a lot of um, this uh, French uh, writer, Hervé Guibert, who died in, I think, 1991, who sort of, I feel like some people, myself included, see as sort of like the forebearer of like what you would call contemporary autofiction. And his work is very thinking on the page in real time, it feels like. It feels like he's just writing it in front of you. And his, you know, his book that I sort of am most obsessed with is is called To the Friend Who Did Not Save My Life. And it's sort of about his sort of race against time after receiving an AIDS diagnosis and sort of trying to find a vaccine and a cure and the intimacy of that voice. But then also, it, you know, he's French, so he doesn't have that sort of like American straight jacketedness. He's not a sh- he's not shy about being kind of edgy or raw or or you know offending anyone. And that book was a huge scandal in a way because it exposed Foucault as dying from AIDS. Um, so I don't know. He's someone who I'm sort of obsessed with lately. But then I also feel like I gravitate towards people who just sort of do like blend research and. And sort of, you know, the gap between research and the self. So I really like Kate Zambrano. She's a contemporary writer who does that very well, I think. Yeah, that that sort of thing. Almost things that are in like this weirdly like Roland Barthes, like sort of descendant French, you know, border of like poetry theory and nonfiction, I guess. Yeah, report, um, reported essays are, are really cool and fun because they blend uh, some – they blend research, something that is outward looking and inward looking. And so it's yeah. not just memoiristic. It actually has like a, a component totally. of, 
Yeah, uh, that that research component where you're pulling in other people and then it's really informing uh, a very a, a worldview and informing a little world that you're building within within an essay, which I which I really come to like, and it's a it can be a great yeah yeah it can be a great um, field on which to get voicey, but also you know be educational and entertaining. It's it's really a fun thing to play with. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like as a reader, at least I, I get pretty bored by straight memoir, straight journalism. And then in writing for magazines, you sort of, you can sort of run the risk of getting grief for not being journalistic enough I've found, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like the sort of, the sort of slippery, like, is it real? Is it not real? Essay is something that, you know, there at least used to be more outlets for. So that's sort of like, uh, I'm not trying to like be reductive and copy that era, but I definitely feel like I'm trying to like implicitly point out that you can still make that work that is sort of like very grounded by research. So it's not just like you're pulling it out of your ass, but like there is some selfhood in there because I, I feel like I get kind of bored. It feels kind of dry if there's not, if the writer isn't putting themselves in the work. That, that's a good point. That's what kind of also animates the, you know, your your Pedro essay. It's a, uh, you know, you're you're in there as not only a fan of Pedro and the Red Sox, but also as a a fan of, uh, of writing and being a writer. So you get like a, this very textured essay, and what is what amounts to a pretty short essay too, which is kind which is kind of cool too. That you had you were very it's very short. Yeah, it's a very lean essay, yeah. and you get a lot in there. Yeah, no, I mean, it was a funny, I mean, that's a funny process of, again, writing for a magazine as opposed to sort of for a book length project or for yourself or like a sub stack when you can kind of do what you want with length. I feel like a lot of times when I'm working with, an, with a magazine, it's like, I feel like I weirdly gravitate towards this maximalist approach as I'm amassing sort of notes and research and you know maybe phrases or sentences I want to incorporate and then it's like you either have to be content with it getting cut or you can kind of try to like compress as much as you can into as little space which is honestly a good it's a good exercise it sort of forces you to to not waste any any space but yeah this piece definitely had stuff it's almost like things that got cut from it are hopefully hovering inside it, even if they're unseen. As I mentioned before, I feel like one thing I had mentioned in maybe like the first paragraph that got cut was like the fact that like every time in that era, you know, the whatever around the turn of the millennium, it's like whenever Pedro pitched, it was such an event, but then it wasn't like now where you can sort of, I mean, now it's tough because MLB with copyright is pretty strict, but you know, there's just no, there was not really much of an ability to go back. It's like that game was, was over. Um, you couldn't really rewatch it or anything. So it's like you watched it or you missed it. And like my family, you know, like we didn't have Nesson, I remember at that point. So I was watching like all the games on Fox 25. And so it's like, I don't know how many even starts of his would be on there, probably like half, but it was very, you know, it's very much a special occasion. So like that, I wanted to bring that sort of like feeling to the piece, that sort of excitement that it was like, it was very much, as you said before, it was very much an event when he took the mound, which is also just so true of like a, 
unique to like a starting pitcher versus like, you know, it's obviously just, just as fun in a different way to watch like a really good hitter, you know, position player do their thing. But an ace pitcher, it's like every five, every five games only. So it really feels like, you know, all eyes on this person. Also implicit in this piece, it's like, I feel like he was this once kind of once in a lifetime pitcher, but also just like not very, not especially tall for a pitcher. Was tiny. Slight. Yeah. Tiny. Yeah. And so it's just like this, like he was very much human and he seemed, you know, I remember like he's into like gardening. <laughs> um, what wasn't in the piece, uh, cause there was no space, but there was this brief period of time where my grandparents were going we're renting a place in Florida, some sort of near Fort Myers. And so I was on March break down there or whatever with my parents. We flew back and we accidentally were on Pedro Martinez's flight. And he was, I was probably like nine years old. I had just done a drawing of him. I was really into drawing at the time. And like he was with his mother. He signed my drawing. Oh, cool. He was just a very, you know, just a very normal guy, which I feel like is not. I don't know. It just seems like kind of a rare thing. But so I feel like that sort of relatability or whatever adds to that, you know, feeling. And I feel like, you know, with like as a kid too, just sort of like having no frame of reference in terms of how unique that moment was maybe or like and just like, you know, engaging with it through like, you know, sort of the like pretty sorted like AM radio media where it's like every start he had that was a little bit off was like people having an aneurysm about you know oh, yeah. anyway yeah it's kind of a tangent but yeah i don't know i have a very weird relationship with with boston i feel like and honestly that almost is part of it i feel like that sort of like nothing is good enough attitude when it was like we were watching like a really historic thing happen i feel like and but yeah i feel like that was like the beauty of like you know this isn't like this piece is about him it's not really about the red Sox. you know like yeah. it's like he transcended all that to me i feel like in like a way that really uh you know yeah i was hoping i was hoping to get across because a lot of people were like that's deeply ironic that you're writing this for the new york times you know about <laughs> yeah. the red sox so i'm like it's really not about the red sox it was about pedro martinez but yeah yeah my dad anyway. and i and uh when i was in high school for uh, three february breaks we used to it's crazy that we used to do this. We would drive down to Florida for spring training for when pitchers and catchers nice. reported. And That's crazy, yeah. Yeah, so it would take us, you know, the better part of two-plus days to get down there, and we'd be down there for, like, another two days. We had some family in St. Pete, so that was kind of our launching point. And nice. And then we'd go to a bunch of spring training camps, usually the Cardinals, uh, uh, sometimes the, the Pirates, and then we'd go up to Fort Myers to see the Sox. And I stood next to trying to get his autograph, Pedro, at the time. And, like, I'm 5'9", and he was shorter than me. And That's so funny, yeah. And at the time, I was I, mean, I was probably, you know, 190 pounds or something. And uh, so, like, he was maybe 150 pounds. I mean, he's just tiny. For sure, very slight. Yeah. yeah, and all that power coming out, of, coming out of that arm. It's like, holy shit. It's really insane, yeah. I mean, it's like his mechanics were just perfect, I feel. And then, like, his, I mean, they always say, like, he had, like, very long fingers. So it's, like, the movement. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, that's what I really like. As I've gotten 
that's what brought me back to it in a way. It's like as much like the literal success of this player, it was like the the way his pitches physically move is pretty incredible and, and moving onto itself. It's like it's I don't know if there's any anything I've quite seen like that. I mean it really I mean I remember someone comparing it to someone what I mean like the writing analogy stands obviously I tried to make it stand but like you know you could easily compare it to a painter in a way it's like the brush stroke yeah of a painter or something in in terms of uh you know fastball and turn in and and style and those kind of pyrotechnics uh who are some of the writers that in in your opinion just have that have that fastball that uh that you aspire to or maybe ones you're like you know what I'm I, I'm gonna I'm gonna steer away from that one <laughs> What writer? Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, I mean, I try to read everything in a way because there's so much you can draw on. But I mean, I really like, I feel like my whole life I've been sort of like a deemed, socially deemed an easygoing person. And so over the, you know, in my 20s and beyond, I've sort of made an effort to develop more of an edge be more of an asshole so I feel like I really (laughs) I admire like Thomas Bernhardt is a good example because he's just so fucking mean and angry but in a sort of like relatable way I mean not that anger is necessarily a fastball yeah I don't know I mean I am drawn to people who have that sort of as you said like pyrotechnic ability um sort of like a range of style and form I mean I feel like I talk about Ulysses and that's such a fucking cliche, but like that is a book that sort of like exploded my brain in a maybe good and bad way because it sort of made it very hard for me to write something in a sort of typical straight through fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I brought up Wolf because she's, she's not, excuse me. She's not really like throwing, throwing fastballs it more seemed like her sentences were mimicking this sort of sinuous arcing curving sensation that I was seeing and in really all of his pitches even his fastballs have that movement so it was like an interesting I don't know I mean she's probably just like in terms of if someone held a gun to my head that's my favorite writer but like with her it's like the imagery of waves and water it's like a you know natural element in a way the beauty of of watching the physical movement of his pitches, not to keep zeroing in on that, but yeah, well, yeah. I go to, um, you know, I, I think like a lot of, a lot of dudes, they kind of go through their David Foster Wallace phase. And I love, <laughs> I love his tennis essays. Like, so he's someone who to me has that, that fastball and I've tried to write in that style and it, you know, it just comes across as forced and, and so I know to stay away from that, but I can draw inspiration mm-hmm. from it. So he's like a guy who's got that fastball. He balances the the funny with the personal with stuff that's really tactile because he was a pretty good tennis player, you know, just at, sure. at a low level. In the same way that I was a pretty good baseball player, kind of on that level. And so it's like I, I've been able to draw inspiration from him that way. But I also have to remember, like, uh, he's him now. Don't try to be him. To be you. Totally. But be inspired. Yeah. By him. Maybe that's why I brought up sort of like the like diligently reading the canon in undergrad and then sort of like it sort of happens while you're not watching, the, you know, your voice 
fighting you, but I was never like an especially good athlete. I'm coordinated enough, but baseball especially I was pretty shit at. So <laughs> it's like this and like, you know, it's like it's the classic trope of the of not to like lean into stereotypes, but it's like the sort of American Jew who is like better at like watching <laughs> baseball than than playing it. So like I feel like I finally like a lot of me finding my voice is sort of like for me like I mean it's not really in this piece but like humor or like chattiness uh, and sort of I really like one of my favorite novels is uh, Bulgakov's Master and Margarita and it's like that feeling of like almost being sort of like a quirky host like figure in a way is sort of central to my work because I feel like I tried to ground the reader in a sense that they might not notice how sort of atypical the piece actually is or you know guide someone into something that they might otherwise find daunting or you know that dreaded word pretentious um (laughs) so yeah yeah in terms of trying to you know develop your own voice uh you know i something you said a moment ago just made me think of uh how how it kind of just emerges over time and develops over time it's not like you're wearing i don't know like a weight vest a 30 pound weight vest and you're walking along and then you right. then you shed it and all of a sudden it's like oh that's what 30 pounds lighter feels like it's like such an incremental thing of day-to-day work day-to-day reading and then you just kind of you just kind of become it you know, it just totally. it, it's so slow and i think that can be really kind of demoralizing to some people who just want to like come onto the scene but it is such a like a a product of very deliberate practice over a long period of time 100% no it's very dull <laughs> or you know yeah. it's like you have to i love i love books i love literature i love language but you know it's like this feeling that those aren't going anywhere and that your engagement with them is both a very literal thing through reading and and practicing writing but then you know, like, even in this sort of, like, less obvious way, I feel like the internet has, like, completely ruined my brain and also, like, fueled it where it's, like, I often just am, like, thinking in, like, images and and even, or just kicking around, like, phrases that are from memes or just tweets and stuff like that. And so it's, like, a lot of it is, like, me trying to convey images onto the page and right it's like it's like bridging the gap between like the the diligent reading and like everything else um yeah i don't know it's like you're filtering it through something and that's maybe where the voice starts coming from right yeah and you know and you're referencing how the internet can like you know kind of breaks you and and it can also build you up you know in this in this day and age especially with social media being what it is and the arts being what it is it can be uh it can be sometimes hard not to be envious or jealous of people and looking over your shoulder and i haven't asked people this in a while i used to ask it all the time um but there's always that element of sometimes you're looking over your shoulder and you're like ah why does you know so and so get so and so and get published in this place like i feel like i want that and i can't get sure. there in uh, that that comparison trap, and uh, you know, mm. for you, is that something that you wrestle with? And if you do, like, how do you metabolize it? 
I can hear like all my friends laughing at that question. Um, uh, I feel like I fall into that trap for sure. But then I also like, mm, a lot of it is very specific for me, I think in terms of living in New York. Um, and then I feel like I, it's weird. Like, I feel like my day-to-day life here, it's more like getting caught up in like a self-comparison with people or, you know, I, I kind of intentionally am friends with a lot of people who are creative, but not writers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was like half intentional or half accidental, but, uh, I feel like I get caught up in it in so much as it's unavoidable here. But then I think like I keep coming back to the making of writing or like the making of my own work because it, is sort of like blessedly like mine and nobody can like take that from me. But then I also feel like in a positive sense, like being online, being in community with people and being in community with people who are very bright, but not necessarily writers or, you know, like readers more than writers has led me to make work that hopefully translates better to like an audience that isn't like necessarily hermetic, but without sort of pandering or without dumbing things down. And I've sort of found that that's become sort of my like weird niche of late, which I kind of enjoy. Um, so it's like, I weirdly like, I get caught up in in the sort of social, social crap, but like, I also feel like when I'm there at my desk, like I'm just thinking about some new thing thing that I'm either newly obsessed with or you know getting back into like you know with this piece it was like okay wow like the New York Times is letting me go like nine-year-old boy mode like that's kind of crazy so yeah (laughs) Um, how aware are you of the reader when you're in the writing process sometimes a little too much but then ideally not much at all I'm aware of the reader in the sense that I want my work to feel like almost like, almost like I'm like a monologue or like talking, AKA not to be too, you know, not to overuse unnecessary words, but you know, unnecessarily big or fancy words. So it's like, I'm aware of the reader in so much as I know that like, the work needs to be grounded and communicating to a potential reader. But, you know, as I'm making it, that the only reader there is me. So it's sort of like this weird. So I feel like I've gotten to a point where I like can think about that and even obsess over that without having that obsession be like painfully self-conscious or like beholden to to others it's sort of I mean I feel like it's sort of related to an athlete hitting their peak form where they're like seeing seeing the floor seeing the field in full without really like thinking that hard about it perhaps part of the the Pedro essay too when you talk about the the pitch variation uh, you know speed location and and so forth Mm -hmm. you know and you relate that back to you know sentence length and pacing and stuff like that from a craft 
perspective you know just how aware of you are because you say you're kind of a kind of a plotter when it comes to your writing kind of very slow so in what way are you so mindful of of that pacing of sentences and the changing of pitches i'm so aware of it i mean i don't yeah it's kind of sucks but it's fine (laughs) i feel like but that's not yeah again that's not like about like it being shared or with people so much as just being very obsessed with and probably OCD about about sound um, and like musicality. I mean, like Wallace Stevens comes to mind with that. I really, I read, I try to read a lot of poetry because I feel like it just really communicates that you know sonic word choice imp- importance of all that. Yeah, I'm so aware of it, and it, it's just like I'll read through each sentence. Or, you know, sometimes I will almost know the shape of the sentence and how I want it to sound before I even really come to, like, what I'm fully saying in it, as crazy as that sounds. It's almost like sound is dictating where I go as much as as anything. You know, it's like, obviously, like, the research and the content are in there, but it's like, if it doesn't sound good to read... It's just not worth reading. For me, as a, mm-hmm. it comes from me as a reader liking stuff that feels, you know, I don't want it to feel overly worked on. Like, that's the irony. Um, right. It's like spending all this time to make it feel kind of casual, but it needs to flow. I mean, I feel like that was something I realized that a lot of people, you know, in a workshop setting or in like whatever, like when you're, when you're younger in school, it's like, I don't know if you can always teach that. And so I maybe realized that that was something that was a strength of, of mine and something I could sort of lean on. But then, yeah, it, it definitely veers into like this obsession with small things and, you know, leads to potentially working pretty slowly, but you, you never know. I mean, it's like, I feel like lately and maybe with this piece, it was this feeling of like, Oh, like, it's like it's all in there in my in the back of my brain or you know almost like underneath your tongue kind of like the like sonic uh, like underpinnings of something and i think a lot of people who listen to the show um you know they're they're writers but they also have you know day jobs and you know you're an instructor with uh school of visual arts as well as being uh as well as doing your own writing and uh, it can yeah. be a, a challenge to silo each off to like carve out that time to craft whatever you want to do. Um, so like, how do you, you know, put everything into its little little box so you know you're you're not neglecting one or the other, as, you know, in the course of a day or even a week or a month. Totally, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely a a tough balance. Um, and I don't know. I mean, for me, it's just sort of like. I mean, I think that's why I work sort of, it's paradoxically why I work pretty slowly when I'm in it, when I'm in a sort of state of focus or, or a flow state or whatever they call it. I feel like a process of, of accretion or something, I would call it, where it's just like that paragraph doesn't, you know, isn't horrible. I can keep it. And then the next day, come back and make another paragraph. And then, you know, eventually you do have an essay. Um so, I mean, it's sort of that sort of awareness that you're split in all these different ways and thinking about all these different things definitely, like, is part of the way 
I, I work on my, you know, writing projects for sure. Since you, you know, teach, teach writing, you're also a writer. It's, it's important to sometimes get away from it. Uh, so in what ways do you unplug from it? So you're just not totally inundated with, with it. So you can come to your work fresh. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was going to actually say that I feel like weirdly, like I get away from the work a lot and then that, but that informs the work. So it's like this weird, like creation of boundaries, but then also like dissolution of them. I feel like for me, a lot of it is immersing myself in either visual art or music. Um, I wrote like a review uh, in maybe May uh, for the Cleveland Review of Books, which was um, a review of Mackenzie Wark's book about raving. And like, that's sort of like almost like the community or scene that I'm most embedded in in New York. I don't, I don't like DJ or anything, but I just sort of have weirdly like come into friendships with a lot of, a lot of DJs that I go to out dancing a lot. And I feel like that is a very like sensorially immersive experience, but then also something that paradoxically allows me to sort of just like turn my brain off a little bit and calm down. And then just like, I mean, a lot of my work, like this piece included, I wouldn't, obviously Pedro Martinez isn't thought of as a, as a visual artist, but I mean, that was really like the way I was writing about him was informed by like art critic or failed visual artist. I feel like I'm like really like, uh, my work is very much informed by like, you know, a visual sensibility, whether that's sort of like photography or like cinematic cuts or techniques or montages um and so it's like all that stuff is just definitely like a break from the writing but then also like feeding it in this way that that is kind of exciting and like you know not visible until it suddenly is um so yeah what uh in what way would you identify as a failed visual artist i mean i was really into photography like darkroom photography and like my high school had like a darkroom, which was pretty crazy. And then in like college, I was doing that a little, but it's, it's an expensive habit. It's also just like, I feel like everybody became a photographer, Oh yeah, you know, as with the advent of the smartphone camera. Um, and so it just, you know, in a sort of depressing capitalist sense, it just became clear to me that it's, it would be nearly impossible for me to distinguish myself as a photographer, but it would also set me aside as a writer if that sort of I uh, informed a lot of the work I was I was making. Um, and yeah, and you know, I don't know, I used to like, I used to draw a lot as a kid, I would just like draw my favorite athletes. So yeah, like I said, like, I had done this drawing of Pedro Martinez, I happened, <laughs> <laughs> happened to meet him in the Fort Myers airport, you know, it's like, that probably, you know, in that way too, art very much informed this, this piece. I think anything that sets you aside and like can either be this like creative release that maybe doesn't really enter the writing itself, but just sort of like in that sort of way clears you up to, to, to do it better or just stuff that is sort of like literally cropping up imbued in the work you know, I feel like, like, I really am someone who's obsessed with, like, 
as I said, like sound of the work, but then like light motifs, patterns, you know, like almost like quick cuts, like in a film or something. And it's not even like I'm like sitting there at my desk, like, oh, I need to like make this into a collage. But, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Like I noticed that this essay I just filed, like has a lot of lists in it. And it's like this way of like, giving the reader like a ton of visuals in a row and like bringing up themes that way without having to sort of drag it out. And it's like a very quick way of like putting a lot of context, sort of implicit context in. Um, and so I just find like, you'll, I'll notice like things like that happening. And it's like, I don't even move to the phase of like analyzing it like this until it's done, but it's like exciting to be like, okay, cool. That was, that just came, came out of the work almost. Nice. And Will, as I, I like to bring these conversations down for a landing by asking the guest for a recommendation of some kind. And that can just be anything you're excited about that you want to share with the listeners. And it doesn't have to be a book, but it, it could be a, a, a cool new water bottle that you're excited. You know, it, can, it can be anything. So I, I'd extend that to you, Will. Not to be like dorky and make it a book, but I feel like the other, you know, the other day I was sort of trying to give my students something to read that would just sort of communicate uh, just very like successful descriptive or visual writing. And for me, that what came to mind was I have like the collective poem, collected, or uh, sorry, complete poems I'm looking at right now uh, of Elizabeth Bishop. Um, and I feel like she's a writer who also worked very slowly, was not afraid to sort of redo her drafts redo her poems until they felt ready but then I feel like she's doing this she's really a master of like drawing uh, a scene or like a landscape in front of you and then sort of like subtly uh, imbuing theme or or symbol or meaning but not in any sort of heavy-handed way uh, into that sort of like landscape drawing approach that she's doing and I don't know that's just someone who I sort of always find myself gravitating back towards fantastic well 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 i'm so glad we were able to have this conversation in your pedro essay it was really it was really (laughs) fun and great and uh whimsical and it brought out all the feels for me too just being a growing up a Sox fan and stuff I'm, i'm glad yeah thank you brendan i appreciate it i see an effort thanks to will and thank you for listening to this latest episode of the podcast You can subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you prefer. And you can follow along on social at Creative Nonfiction Podcast on threads and Instagram. The only social media footprint for the show. So, uh, I haven't done uh, much of a book update in a while. So, as of this writing of this, as of the writing of this script and the recording of this parting shot, I crossed the 40,000 word mark. Which is something, or it's not nothing nearly halfway to the low end of my word count range for the uh, contractually obligated word counts, which is, as I understand it, a bit more fluid, neither here nor there. I have about five and a half months to go to my deadline, which is pretty terrifying. This month, though, I like had just a something of a, not a vision, but a, a kind of a goal. Be like, okay, you are where you are with your research. How about we just scale back a little bit 
on the research and hit a new level of altitude in, st- in terms of the writing, in terms of word count. So I pruned some of the research, which is always ongoing, and then you know, write maybe upwards of 1,000 words a day for the month and try to push into the 60,000 word range, get real close to it, if not across it, and then power back down do more interviews, always more interviews, and get deeper into the meaning of the guy. You know, I'm inspired by the structure of the documentary The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan uh, docu-series and the 98 Bulls. And I'm, I'm real excited to play with that. I figured out Prefontaine's, quote, last dance. Um, not what you think. It's not like a final race. It's something else entirely. And, like, what that means and how the series of events became this apotheosis of the vision he was manifesting for years. And so I'm going to toggle between that, quote, last dance and the main narrative. If it doesn't work, that, quote, last dance stuff will still be a chapter unto itself, so it won't be wasted. And another thing, and I haven't been writing chapters at all, which is kind of weird. I've just been writing pretty much linearly, or sometimes not linearly, like when I... If there's one island I want to write, sometimes I just go there. And I just leave it in the document and be like, all right, we'll stitch this together at some point or another, or not. At a few places, I just kind of write, like, end potential chapter. Like, sometimes it just feels like the end of a chapter. But otherwise, I'm not like this, like, this chapter is about this. Okay, end, move on. It's more on feel. Like, I'm... I'm really writing this book on feel. I'm guided by the riverbed of the newspaper archives, and my interviews with nearly 100 people and counting, you know, fill out the river, and I'm just letting it guide me, man. You know, my pal Bronwyn Dickey told me to explain it now and write it later. And without asking her to expand on that, I'm kind of, I'm finally understanding what that means, at least for me. It's just like, just get shit down. Don't worry about elevating the prose or adding a witty turn of phrase that can all come in the revising the rewriting i haven't even read a single word of what i've written either so that's going to be enlightening and terrifying i'm gonna you know i'm trying to enjoy the process the journey while also not getting too down in the dumps about not being able to talk to 400 people like a jeff perlman or jane levy would you know i waver between wanting to finish this book so I never have to do it again. I also fear how much I'm going to miss spending every single day and night with Steve Prefontaine. I, I don't want to squander the time I have with him because when this is done, I, it's over. Like, I don't get to hang out with him anymore. And depending on how the book does, I might get the scarlet letter. No one might want to publish me again. So I need to really s- just settle in. I don't want to squander the time I have with him because when it's done... Dude, it's over. I don't get to hang out with him anymore. And it's been fun hanging out with the guy. Yeah, that's how I see it. But there are moments in the writing and the reporting of this where I can see myself being like 100% done with book writing and writing in general. Like maybe I'll go back to school and become an electrician for the remainder of my days or go to culinary school. I've always loved the idea of creating with food and, and celebrating food. And, you know, if I pivoted out of this jam, then I wouldn't be able to engage with it again because knowing me, I'd be bitter and that I couldn't sustain it, that I couldn't be 
uh, a, you know, a successful writer. Or at least a writer who can support himself. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be able to listen to podcasts. I wouldn't be able to conduct this podcast any longer. You know, with you know, with writers, listening to writers, talking to writers, or really even read many books anymore because I'd realize that I wasn't strong enough to keep going, and I'd always be comparing myself to them. I'd get all bitter and filled with regret, and I could see myself on my deathbed wishing I had just stuck with it because there wasn't anything better than immersing yourself in the life of another person or no nobler pursuit than celebrating good sentences and charming artists. Uh, I mean, it's a mess. It's a, it's a damn mess. I, I'm going to go play some Zelda on the Nintendo Switch my wife bought me for my birthday in July. I finally set it up this week because a perverse part of me was like, you don't deserve to play video games when you have so much work to do. Bah, bah, bah. So instead, yeah, yeah. I, 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 okay, yeah, I play a little bit on Friday night and Saturday nights now. That's the plan. Maybe with a beer in hand. And it's really hard to figure out the controls because there's like 45 fucking buttons. And, um, I, I you know, if I have a decent week of book work, then yes, I, I get to, I get to play my Nintendo uh, and go to Hyrule because, uh, it's a, it's a trip, man. Yeah. Link. Zelda, you know. All right. Stay wild, CNFers. If you can't do, interview. See ya.